0: This is Rising Up with Sonali and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. One year into Joe Biden's presidency, Democrats, who have a razor-thin control of the Senate and House, haven't had as much success in passing visionary progressive legislation as many voters thought. With the ambitious Build Back Better bill stalled, and two corporate Democrats, Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin, stymieing filibuster reform, we turn today to Brooke Adams, Director of Movement Politics at People's Action, to understand the reasoning behind the status quo and how we might change it. Welcome to the program, Brooke. Thank you so much,
1: Sonali. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So first, how do you assess Biden's presidency understanding that he is limited by what Congress can do. I mean, most Americans, when polled, might say you know, that he has utterly failed because, of course, they're only seeing the achievements. But you are you know, among those folks who monitors how the sausage is made, if you will. Understanding all of that, how do you assess President Biden's leadership this past year?
1: Thank you for the question. So I would, I would say, first off, there have been big victories since Biden has taken office, but at the same time, he has not done everything he can as our president to advance a progressive agenda that will benefit working people all across this country. So let me maybe start with the good, because you know, I think sometimes we get so muddled in all of the challenges that we're facing at the federal level that we lose sight of some of the victories that were won in recent months that in many ways have been some of the most landmark pieces of legislation for working people in recent history. Um, So the American Rescue Plan. Right. This is something that was all over the news recently, um, but the debate has shifted recently to build back better. The American Rescue Plan was perhaps the most significant piece of legislation to benefit working people in this country in decades. Um, And it may lead to the lowest child poverty rate on record, right? It included a big boost to many direct payments to people. And though some of those payments could have been bigger, the impacts of that are still extremely significant. It cut child poverty in half. It included housing assistance for millions of Americans. Um, It really boosted employment and included funding for schools, vaccines, relief for small businesses, etc. A few of the other things that have happened since Biden took office. Uh, The number of Americans with health coverage in this country is at the highest level ever. And President Biden took good steps on key issues such as ending surprise billing um, that have impacted millions of Americans' experience with the healthcare system here. On climate, again, much more that needs to be done. But we've rejoined the Paris Agreement, um, which is an exciting victory for us that moves us in the direction this country needs to go in. So you mentioned, Sonali, right, that... President Biden only has a certain amount of power given the fact that Democrats only hold a razor slim margin in Congress, or sorry, in the Senate. But I do want to lift up that there are a number of executive actions that he could have taken and could still take um, that he has not done, right? He could eliminate student debt for 42 million borrowers in this, borrowers in this country with the stroke of a pen. He could increase federal action on climate. And actually bring us to hitting the Paris goals through executive action. And he could seize drug patents developed with public money to make sure people can actually afford life saving medications during a pandemic. So, in summary, I would say yes, there have been big victories since President Biden has taken office, but the Build Back Better agenda is tangled up in the Senate right now. And the best thing that President Biden could do is use the power that he has. To actually move some of these executive actions to protect everyday people. And I do want to lift up, too, that you know, Build Back Better is, is stalled in the Senate because of the two corporate Democrats that you mentioned, but also because corporations have funneled millions and millions of dollars into lobbying to block this agenda. And so oftentimes, right, we spend a lot of time uh, focusing in on evaluating senators and the president. Uh, but in reality, what's behind the curtain is a massive corporate attack on a progressive agenda that actually is, in fact, quite popular.
0: And I want to talk about that uh, briefly, uh, but I just also want to add, you know, on an individual level, uh, I'd like to throw is there a mandate between now and November, given this thin, thin political power that Biden has and the Democrats have, is there a mandate to take bold visionary changes or should they play it safe?
1: This is the question that we see debated over and over again every single cycle in the national news. And And by by
0: saying, should they play it safe, I was playing devil's advocate and channeling the Washington Post op-ed pages, for example.
1: Right. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And and who's writing those op-eds, right? It's oftentimes groups like the Chamber of Commerce that are backed by big businesses who have a direct stake in blocking the passage of policies that are actually quite popular with the American people. So to answer your question in short, yes, there is a mandate for Democrats to campaign in a way that actually appeals to the changes that people all across this country desperately need. And let's be honest, people are exhausted. It has been a tough couple of years with the pandemic and with just the fluctuation in our political and economic uh, realities right now and what people need is not to be told that once again we're going to play it safe and actually refrain from making any meaningful change in this country. People need a vision because in moments when when we are tired, right? When this country has gone through what in many ways is a collective trauma over the past couple of years, the only thing that will really move us out of that and inspire people to really see that politics can and does matter in their lives is bold campaigning. And I do want to lift up, you know, Oftentimes, the reason that that politicians are told to play it safe is, again, because corporations and the wealthy have a direct stake in them campaigning on a middle-of-the-road agenda. But when you actually break down the facts about what's popular in this country, many of the elements of Build Back Better and many of the elements of what progressive organizations all across this country are fighting for are indeed quite popular with the American electorate. More than two thirds of people support raising taxes on corporations and the wealthy. More than 80% of adults think that prescription drugs are unreasonably expensive. Uh, Most people in this country support building enough new nonprofit and publicly owned homes to ensure everyone in the US has a place to live. Two thirds of adults say that the federal government is doing too little on climate change, right? The statistics go on and on and on. In reality, People are actually hungry for the sort of visionary change um, that oftentimes, again, groups like the Chamber of Commerce are telling Democrats to avoid and move closer to the center because they're afraid of losing their profits.
0: So let's talk about the way in which people's action has managed to kind of break through the logjam at the granular level, at the grassroots level. Um, Unfortunately, people get bombarded by the centrist propaganda in their newspapers and their television screens but uh, your organization has been using this method that you call deep canvassing to not just find out where people are but to actually push the needle on uh, political uh desires on and, and on trying to you know understand where people are and push them to 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 have that progressive change that they want tell me about deep canvassing
1: yeah that's exactly right sonali People's Actions Deep Canvas program is built to cut through the noise of the propaganda that people are hearing on Fox News, right, blasted on their TVs every single day. Because again, the reality is the majority of Americans need better health care, agree that climate change is a major threat that we are facing in this country, right? Want better, safe, livable homes. And the reason that they aren't with us, or perhaps haven't made up their minds in elections is not because they don't want these improvements in their lives. It's because they are so blasted with fear-driven messaging, oftentimes racist fear-driven messaging from the right, um, that creates mass confusion, mass disinformation, and ultimately pushes people to vote against their own interests. And so with our Deep Canvas program, what we are aiming to do is build deep, meaningful connections with voters on the doors and on the phones, right? in every single conversation we have that can cut through some of that noise and actually build a relationship that's rooted in empathy, in listening, um, that can bring people in to seeing this big picture vision of how all of us can thrive and benefit once we have a government and an economy that cares for all of us. So instead of giving our canvassers poll-tested, DC-created, you know, created, messaging that they just go regurgitate on the doors, we actually train people in softer skills, like how to listen, how to ask questions, how to engage with curiosity, and ultimately how to build a one-to-one relationship with people on the doors um, so that voters are able to see that what differentiates us is actually not so great and what brings us together under wanting and needing this shared agenda is much stronger and can last for the long haul. Because ultimately we know end of the day, that no matter what we do, there are going to be fear-driven messages on immigration, right? telling voters that they have to pick either the climate or their jobs and we can't have both. And the only way we get in front of that is by actually building lasting relationships with people. So when all of that fear-driven messaging comes, people remember the hope and the connection that they had with the the folks who talked to them on the doors and on the phones. And that compels us all to actually build together the government and the economy that we need.
0: Brooke, you co wrote an op ed in USA Today with Representatives Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar last fall, where you point out that there is support among Americans for, say, Medicare for all. Uh, we've just had a conversation today with the California Nurses Association expert about Calcare, um, which is a single payer bill in California. But of course, at the federal level, we have a bill as well. And we're always, you know, there, there's the naysayers against single payer. Gets so much um, space in the op-ed pages, but tell me what your, what you and Talib and Omar um, find and share in your op-ed about healthcare single-payer for all.
1: I mean the findings are simple. It's that the majority of Americans actually want and need Medicare for all. And I, I will, ha- I will say first, I actually think it is extremely popular. And when people do not support it, it is oftentimes just because of the fear-driven messaging, again, around the buzzword and not because of what the policy would mean in people's lives, right? We have been experiencing a global pandemic for over two years now. I think most Americans understand at this point that healthcare is something that needs to be a human right, that all of us have fair access to in order for people to have the basic necessities they need to survive here in this country. Um, And Americans identify Time and time again, healthcare is a top priority in elections, right? Um, and so when we see middle of the road corporate democrats avoiding Medicare for all and avoiding taking strong stances, I guarantee you the vast majority of them are receiving money from private insurers um, and potentially even hospitals, right, within their localities. And this is what drives them to actually avoid campaigning and being champions on issues like Medicare for all, right? What's really up, oh yes, go ahead. What's
0: really interesting, Brooke, uh, is that you don't hear the critics of Medicare for all complaining about the fact that the government has picked up the cost of COVID nineteen testing, vaccines you know, distribution, um, the cost of even treatment, most COVID-19 treatment. If you are stricken with a virus and you're uninsured, the government will generally pay for most of your treatment. There's this COVID-19 exception that has gone under the radar over the past two years where we have assumed it is a given for the government to use public funds to pay for our care, but only if you catch the virus. If you have cancer and are uninsured, you're out of luck. And it's really interesting that we haven't heard the private insurers or you haven't heard, you know, the Heritage Foundation or these other corporate profiteers who want to preserve the private health insurance system complain about this because it would be really horrifying to hear them complain about people's care being covered. There is a COVID-19 exception.
1: Yeah, it is, it is a very interesting fact, Sonali. And I, I think in part speaks to some of the work that was done through the American Rescue F- plan to normalize the expectation that COVID actually be something that the government is putting federal money into. At the same time, I I would just say that Americans are horrified enough by this pandemic that if corporations, if if private insurers started coming after this policy, it would just be so revealing of their interests as opposed to the interests of the health and well-being of the American people um, that I, I don't think they could come back from it.
0: But it's interesting also that um, there hasn't been enough connection made between, well, if the government's going to cover COVID-19 care, why aren't we covering other care? You know, why Absolutely. aren't we covering cancer care, diabetes care, et cetera, et cetera. Um, well, so th- then let's talk about um, what it's going to take to push things forward with just going back to the issue of deep canvassing. Uh, in fact, uh, I had spoken to someone else at People's Action before the November 2020 election about how deep canvassing was shown to uh, you know, increase turnout for Biden your organization actually did a lot of canvassing work around the country and helped move the needle, you know, even in the tiniest way to ensure that Trump wouldn't have a second term, but here we are stymied once more. With these, you know, with with the midterm elections coming up in 2022, how can deep canvassing ensure that Biden not only retains his Democratic majority, but that the House and Senate control is large enough that we can have build back better? Um, the House could go to Republicans. The Senate could go to Republicans.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And look, I think looking ahead towards 2022, there's there's a lot to be worried about. And I do think that our deep canvas program is one of the areas in which, at least for me, there is a lot of hope about what is possible in this country too. So the the major things I would say, our deep canvas is actually meant to appeal to people who are conflicted. And I do think the progressive movement has made huge strides over the past decade to elect champions to federal office. But when you look at where those victories have happened, the vast majority of them have been in safely blue areas. And so there's a lot of work that we need to do to actually Build our base, right? And preach beyond the choir and reach reach conflicted voters, especially working class conflicted voters who have a direct stake in the sort of policies that we are campaigning on, uh, but perhaps aren't already voting with us or have not made up their mind yet. And our deep canvas program in 2022 is actually focused on building infrastructure in Republican-held turf that, frankly, the Democratic Party has not been building the infrastructure it needs to win in for decades because these are the areas where there's vast communities of people who, again, really need the things that we're campaigning on um, but are conflicted. And come November, their votes are going to be critical for determining the makeup of the House and the Senate. And so, you know, people's action deep canvases everywhere, but in 2022, we are really focused in on building infrastructure in some of these Republican-held areas, particularly in rural areas and in small towns and cities, um, where we know that people, you know, care about health care, care about housing, are directly impacted by these issues, and ultimately could build relationships with our canvassers that would bring them into being a part of fighting for the agenda that we need to win post-2022.
0: Brooke, the... Um... Republican Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell last week was asked what Republicans stand for if they regain control of Congress. You know, what would be their, uh, you know, their mission, their vision? And it was incredible to hear McConnell say, "That is a very good question. I'll let you know when we take it back." He didn't want to tell us what Republicans stood
1: for. It's it's fascinating that. I mean, <laughs> one can only imagine what was going through his head. But th- the first thing that makes me think, Sonali, is that in many ways, the way that the ways that the GOP campaign are rooted in fear more so than than a policy agenda, right? I that guess he not couldn't quite say that they policy. stand
0: for corporate uh, profits.
1: <laughs> well, I was I was just going to say it's not that they don't have a policy agenda. They absolutely do. But they're not out there knocking doors, talking to voters about how they're going to rig the country's politics to benefit corporations and the wealthy, even though that in, that is in reality what they're doing. The thing that they campaign on is fear-driven messaging about how, you know, people who don't look like you are to blame for your problems when the thing that they're moving behind the curtain is a massive corporate takeover of the entire country. So I guess it does not surprise me that, <laughs> um, that you know, he was a... Uh, slow in responding because the policy agenda they're moving is not necessarily the thing that Americans want to hear. Brooke, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Give
0: out a website for People's Action and where people can find out about uh, the Deep
1: Canvassing Project. Yes, you can go to peoplesaction.org. That's
0: peoplesaction.org. Brooke, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. My guest has been Brooke Adams, Director of Movement Politics at People's Action. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at RU with Sonali.